Hello, friends. Welcome to Nexus, a smart buildings technology podcast for smart humans. I'm your host, James Dice. If we haven't met before, I write a weekly newsletter on this same topic. It's also called Nexus. Each week, I share what I've learned, my opinions, and what I'm excited about in the quickly evolving world of intelligent buildings. Readers have called Nexus the best way to stay up to date on the future of this industry without all the marketing fluff. You can check it out and subscribe at nexus.substack.com or click the link in the show notes. Since starting the Nexus newsletter, many of you have reached out to me wanting to talk shop, and we have. After a few weeks of those wonderful conversations, I realized I needed to record and share them with our growing community. So here we are. The Nexus podcast is born. This is our chance to explore and learn with the brightest in our industry together. Episode 30 is a conversation with Matthew Vogel of Microsoft's Azure IoT Smart Places and Energy team. I met Matthew a few weeks ago when he sat on a panel I moderated at Realcom, which was great fun. If you're wondering what Microsoft is up to in the smart building space, this episode is definitely for you. We talked about Microsoft's Azure Digital Twin platform and ecosystem and how it, as Matthew says, is designed to accelerate the time to results for the smart buildings market. We talk about how they're doing that and why I see value in it. Of course, we also covered the data modeling aspect of the digital twin, including the open source digital twin definition language and where that sits in context with similar efforts we've covered on other episodes. Please enjoy. All right. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Can you introduce yourself for us? Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Matthew Vogel. I'm a program manager on our Azure IoT Smart Places and Energy team at Microsoft. So been at Microsoft for around eight and a half years now, spanning across uh, Office Mobile. So I helped launch the initial versions across Windows Phone, Android, iPhone. Um, I did some early experimentation with IoT and Office around natural language, which led me to a team that had started in Skype for IoT for communications. Uh, so I helped launch our Harman Kardon Invoke, our Cortana speaker uh, with the Skype domain, as well as starting our partnership with Amazon to get Skype onto Echo devices. And then over the last uh, three plus years, I've been in Azure IoT in a few different functions, but all focused on uh, smart buildings and commercial real estate. Got it. Got it. And what was it like going from like this general IT space into buldings? Like how did, how, how was that transition for you? Yeah, it's been very interesting. I, I think on the consumer side, things tend to move a little bit faster. So there's a lot more innovation up front, but I think the buildings industry has kind of seen what's happened in the consumer space and tried to start adopting it. And so you saw some early versions of that with WeWork, but you definitely see digital transformation taking a hold in buildings. And for me, it's been interesting to just learn about a completely different industry compared to productivity or communications where I've you know, been in for five plus years. Nice. Yeah. And for those of you who've listened to the episode with Emmanuel Daniel, well, that would have been like a month or two ago. This will be kind of like Microsoft part two, uh, digging into the product side uh, of Microsoft. And that's where Matt really comes in strong here. So I want to start us off by getting to my favorite question, which is I've been asking this on the last, I don't know, 12 or so podcast episodes. So we have a nice sort of repository of, of different answers. And, and what's fun is they're all different. So why do you think technology in the, like you just said, why do you think technology in buildings is sort of like decades behind the technology in our pockets or in the consumer space? Sure. Uh, 
I think the first thing that comes to mind is that a lot of the the new wave of technology innovation, things like artificial intelligence, cloud, you know, especially now digital twins, it's a very different technology focus than the traditional technology focus you see in buildings. So the traditional more hardware, you know, maintenance, you know, building management system type of thing. And so part of it is just being a completely new skill set for people. Um, but part of it too with, you know, I think is a general theme of digital transformation is making sure that you have all of the right stakeholders involved and it's changing the way you implement technology. It's changing the way that you do business. I think a lot of this has to change, but it's affecting the way many people across the ecosystem are doing business today. Yeah. And that it is a unique answer. I, I like that because I, I don't know if that is fully grasped, right? And, and I'm teaching this course on smart buildings right now. And I think when people, when the students, I see the students kind of start to grasp this concept where it's like, we're not just talking about technology here. We're talking about a new way of doing business. And that suddenly sort of like balloons the topic, right? But, but you have to start asking these sorts of questions for you to have like an impact with the technology, right? Right. Yeah. And, and a, a microcosm of that, for example, is when we started selling the Surface Hub, so the 70, 80, 90 inch you know, PCs, Microsoft initially went into it with a traditional IT focus. We thought it's just like selling any other PC where you just have to sell it to the IT department and you're good to go. But because you're now attaching these things to walls, which means you need to run more power, you need to run other networking, you need to run all of your accessories, your audio video equipment to that machine. Now you involve the facilities people. And so it's a whole different set of stakeholders that have their own agenda, their own priorities, their own requirements too, in terms of network security and infrastructure. So all of that has to blend together and they're not always in sync. So it becomes that, that issue where you have to start addressing how do you get these people to align on potentially conflicting goals or conflicting outcomes. Totally. Yeah. So this is where I kind of want to tie this back to the episode with Emmanuel. So Emmanuel and I talked about basically the Redmond campus and the, the transformation happening there with the 17, I think, new buildings. So he talked about building smart from the ground up, right? Yes. And I thought it was brilliant. So he walked us through like the entire stack of sort of what's happening on the campus there. And what I wanted to ask you about was how has your team, and first of all, maybe you could tell us like what a little bit about your team. But how has your team on the product side at Microsoft sort of learned from the journey that Emmanuel's team has gone through at the Redmond campus? Sure. Yeah, I guess first for the, the lay of the land of how Emmanuel's team and my team work together. Uh, Emmanuel's team is a broader team called Applied Innovation, where part of their team is focused directly on our own campus to ensure that we're handling the right digital transformation. And like you mentioned, making sure that tech and smarts and all these use cases are built in from the ground up. But they also help enable partners and customers in the space with their own digital transformation externally. Oh, okay. um, they bring a lot of great contacts and leads from the field. And for my team as the product group, we're responsible for making sure that our own products, let's say IoT Hub or Digital Twins or Computer Vision, any of these other you know, pieces of product that you see across Microsoft, making sure that they could be tailor-made to what you need to use in the industry as well as coming up with the right design patterns to show how all these Lego bricks can fit together to enable a holistic solution for the industry. And Campus is a great way of showing how that comes together because we've decided from the start that Campus needs to be a showcase, not just of smart building technology and vision, but something that has to be repeatable externally. 
if we're building something on our own campus that someone else can't come in and visit and say, yep, I want to adapt that right away to my building, my portfolio. If they can't do that with whatever partners uh, we brought onto campus or whatever technology we built on campus, then I think ultimately we fail together because it can't just be Microsoft in a bubble. Um, it's our job to enable the ecosystem at large, and that's how we all went together. And personally, I, I like to equate it to something like the Surface program where you know, PCs had kind of stagnated a little in terms of form factors and stuff. So we let out with, you know, Surface to say, this is a new two-in-one format with a detachable keyboard and kickstand. And then eventually that was adopted by the broader PC industry. Um, there are ways that we could do that now with our own campus where we showcase, here's the latest that you could do and show that as something that the ecosystem can adopt. But at the same time, there are learnings from the field we could bring in. And so you saw that with let's say the, the two screen, you know, phones and stuff now where, you know, we now have that uh, Surface Duo. I'd imagine that the same way, if we're seeing innovation happen externally with other partners, other customers, other landlords, we should also be willing to kind of be humble about it and adopt that into our campus and learn how to grow our own campus that way too. Got it. Yeah, but it works both ways for sure. All right. So I want to kind of zero in a little bit on, so you guys, when we say Microsoft product, there's a lot of products, right? Yeah. I kind of want to zero in for this conversation a little bit more around digital twins. Uh, so you and I were on a panel at Realcom a couple of weeks ago together, which was super fun. And I, I want to sort of maybe replay a little bit of that conversation for those of the, the audience that didn't listen to it or didn't watch it. So how do you guys define digital twins? And the second piece of that is like, what are the misconceptions around it that you're continuously clearing up when you're talking about digital twins? Sure. Yeah. So uh, digital twins itself is not something we invented. It's, you know, a concept that's been around for decades now, especially with, I think NASA is responsible for creating it for simulating a lot of that physical world in a digital environment. Um, for us at Microsoft, I think we have two different versions of a definition just to keep things complicated, but uh, I'd say the general view we have is that a holistic digital twin solution is something that can replicate the physical environment in the digital world, but pillars of that holistic solution include things like live data, whether it be from IoT data sources, other devices, third-party sources like weather or traffic mobility. Um, you need live data feeding in. You need some form of structure. And for structure, we talk about ontologies, which is your vernacular, your way of codifying your industry expertise or your knowledge into a set of models, as well as your topology, which is your live instance of entities that use those models. So think of like a stencil of a conference room where a conference room has a capacity and, and properties and metadata like temperature and how many people it could hold and so on. The instance of that in your topology would be conference room 123, which is located on floor three of building 40, and that can hold eight people, and currently it's 70 degrees. And so that's part of the structure aspect of it. Um, we talk about geometry or visualization, because you, ultimately you need to deliver some sort of end experience to your users. And so in a building that's typically a, a floor plan or a, a BIM model, um, we talk about behavior, so live execution environments. That way, if something goes wrong in, let's say, part of your HVAC system, you know exactly which zones that impact and which rooms are in those zones and then which people are allocated to those rooms. You need some amount of history so you can look back and learn from how your environment has adjusted. So whether that be data over time or even the structure of your graph over time. 
And then lastly is connection to lines of business. So whether that would be a CRM tool, it, it could be a work order management tool, it could be your productivity apps. Uh, a digital twin solution needs to provide that connection to other data sources or other endpoints as well. And so for us at, at Microsoft, we talk about a digital twin solution encompassing all of that. That's where a lot of partners who I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later on come into play to stitch it all together. Because the second definition I'll give you is, again, we are a platform company. Uh, we provide the base ingredients, the, the capabilities that have to be assembled. And so for us, Azure Digital Twins is our product that's tailor-made towards specific parts of that solution. So our Azure Digital Twins platform is a set of APIs and capabilities that helps you create an ontology for your domain. Uh, instantiate a topology and then connect it with some of these other services like IoT Hub, which is that IoT data source pillar, or Azure Maps Creator, which is the indoor maps part of the world, or Time Series Insights, which is more of a story. And so on the you know micro level, we think of digital twins as our platform as a service offering that empowers more holistic solutions by partners and customers. Hmm. All right. There's a lot there. So this is the number one reason I wanted to get you on the show. Cause like when I hear digital twin and when I hear you describe that, I think we should unpack it a little bit more because I, I think when people hear say Willow talk about their digital twin offering, maybe just use that as an example. So Willow provides a digital twin that sits on top of <laughs> Azure digital twins. Yeah. And I think that concept is very difficult to say, like, where does the Azure piece stop and where does Willow begin and vice versa, right? So how would you sort of demystify that aspect? And, and Willow is just one example of the, the partners on the marketplace. Right. Yeah. And the analogy I like to use, actually, I try to take people out of the, the tech world for this one, where... Okay. I talk about baking in a way where Microsoft as a platform company is responsible for creating all the ingredients that you'd see in your pantry. Think of us as okay. supplying your flour, your sugar, your eggs, your salt, okay. whatever else you want to do or uh -huh. would want to use. Um, but we rely on partners like Willow, who you mentioned, but a number of others that we published and talked about uh, externally. They're the bakers who come to our pantry to assemble, to bake a cake or to make bread <laughs> okay. or to, you know, I guess banana bread's a, a good pandemic uh, recipe to kick off, but. <laughs> yeah, or uh, sourdough. A lot of people are yeah, doing sourdough. Exactly. Well. Yeah. yeah, so they, they're the ones with development expertise that can look at this pantry of ingredients and bake a cake that makes sense for their customers. In mm -hmm. the case of Willow, they build something that's very operations focused. So they take our ingredients to uh, import a BIM file, turn it into a graph with digital twins, and then create an entire user experience around that tailor-made to people who are operating your building. You could change your, your perspective and then look at someone like Steelcase. Uh, Steelcase is a furniture manufacturer, but they also design office spaces. And yeah. they actually were the inception of digital twins for us because they came to us you know, with the problem statement that they wanted to understand how their space is being used. They helped design these amazing spaces, but they needed data to prove that that was adding value or, or how that space is actually being occupied day over day. Huh. Okay. Uh, and so for them, their digital twin based solution is something that can not only visualize your space, but show you how often something's being used and what factors might play into that to help the designers or the facility managers understand how they should be configuring their space. Okay. Uh, so I think back to one of your early questions about a misconception of a digital twin, is it doesn't need to be one thing. Everyone will have their own 
unique take on a digital twin, and that's absolutely okay. For us at Microsoft, it's our job to make sure our pantry of ingredients can be customizable enough to make all those different recipes that our customers might want to create. But then we need to make sure that we offer a, an ecosystem of partners that have these interesting uh, solutions or capabilities for the smart buildings industry. So that way they can come together to a holistic smart building because we know that a smart building isn't just operations, it isn't just space utilization, it isn't just energy. All of that has to come together into one cohesive deployment. Okay, so the partner provider or the, the provider like Willow or, or Steelcase, they're coming in and they're saying, I'm going to stitch all these or combine all these ingredients together to bake our loaf of bread, right? Yeah. And that loaf of bread is then what's provided to the end user, right? And so exactly. you, you guys are just saying, you know, which of our ingredients would you like to use essentially? And you have many, many, many different facets of it. Is the, the ontology and the taxonomy, is that piece, so you mentioned when you were describing your definition or your pillars, you mentioned that piece being sort of, they, they can create their own, like these, the bakers themselves can create their own ontology taxonomy, right? But then there's the efforts to sort of open that piece up and standardize it as well, right? So how does that show up and how is that a, a piece of your platform that you're providing? If that, sure. If that question yeah, um, I'll, I'll see how far we can stretch this analogy. But um, <laughs> basically, I think first of, the first part of that is around accelerating time to results. If we as Microsoft have to train every single baker that comes into our kitchen to understand how to bake and understand how these ingredients come together, then we're losing time. And in turn, the customers are losing time to value because everyone is learning how to add yeast and flour and, yeah. and all this stuff together to you know, make their bread. If we as Microsoft can provide a starter kit, an accelerant to your development, then that's a win for everyone. So the ontology you mentioned is something we're specifically working with Real Estate Core. Uh, they're a consortium based out of Europe where they bring a lot of academic experience with semantic web and ontology development. And they created this Real Estate Core model that is used directly in the real world today. They have a variety of customers and partners actually building real world solutions on top of that ontology. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is we've partnered with them to actually provide an open source version of Real Estate Core on top of Digital Twins definition language, which is the underlying modeling language that you would use for your Azure Digital Twins deployment. And so if we kind of bring back the ontology that we were talking about before as part of Azure Digital Twins, Basically, you need to start Azure Digital Twins with a set of models so we know how to parse the information that you're sending us. And we don't want people looking at a blank page and figuring out how to start with those models because we've already proven it out of what works in the industry. So we get to leverage a lot of the real estate core expertise and proven value, bring that to the Digital Twins platform uh, in an open source way that everyone can leverage. So you're getting a quicker time to results because you're not having to create everything from scratch. Uh, Willow was one of those key collaborators on the models, but also one of the key consumers of it. And they've actually talked about the fact that they've saved hundreds of developer hours just in the span of a month because they weren't spending time creating their own models on their own. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. Uh, the second aspect that we are trying to address with a lot of the, the standardization that you talked about is when we're talking about all those different solutions that you have to fit together into a building. What we heard from property owners today is that it's all proprietary, it's all walled gardens, and it's really hard for them to actually 
break those barriers down and draw uh, conclusions or insights together. Yeah. So for example, if, if Steelcase were to tell you that this room is occupied or not, how do you then go back to the building management system and control the HVAC based on that occupancy? Yeah. Right now you're dealing with proprietary formats, you know, in any side of the world, or if they do open formats, then it's hard to integrate those together. Mm-hmm. And so what we're proving out now is the fact that if uh, more and more of these solution providers agree on those same ontologies and on those same models, it becomes easier for the integrator in the middle for that holistic visual trend of a building to bring that all together. Yeah. Um, to again, kind of break us out of technology, the analogy I like to use there is if let's say you were the, the building owner and I came to you and I was selling you a solution that talked about your bathrooms and another solution provider came in and sold you a solution that talked about your washrooms and someone else came in and talked about your restrooms. Uh-huh. We're all talking about the exact same rooms in the exact same building, yeah. but you're sitting above that thinking I'm getting all this different data talking about these different rooms. How do I make sense of what's what and how do I join that data together? Because ultimately the physical space is still the same. By using that, not only the same language, so digital twins definition language, but also the same dialect of that language, that ontology, the real estate core models. Now you can actually provide a connected ecosystem of partners, vendors, and customers to use those same languages to provide better integration through Azure Digital Twins. So, so DTDL, Digital Twin Definition Language, is sort of like a non-domain specific language. Exactly. And then yeah. what you do is layer the domain specific or the real estate specific ontology on top of that, right? And that's what you've sort of said. And I think what I'm hearing too is that that real estate specific one, any partner could like basically develop their own on top of DTDL. But what you're saying is, why don't we sort of go to the building owners and say, you guys need to standardize on your domain specific ontology. That way all these providers can then easily work together. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and another great example of how our campus and how our partners actually started to play together too, where on our campus, we're actually starting to apply that ontology to uh, solutions that we're onboarding, how we do RFPs, how we actually choose vendors, because we know that the ones using that ontology will be that much easier for us to integrate into our campus. Now we actually have other property owners, other managers who are looking at it and saying, hey, I'm dealing with the same issue that you're dealing with on your campus, but they're dealing at a portfolio level. They can now do the exact same thing where they require the real estate core ontology for any of their RFPs or for any of their solution providers. And that's where we have a number of different partners throughout the stack actually starting to build that. And it's great to see that you're kind of, we address it from both sides now. You have addressed it from the bottom up with the supply of solutions that are building on that platform. You're also addressing it top down because now you have the property owners and managers who are proving that they have a need and value for that ontology. Got it. Got it. So I'm still sort of piecing all this together in my mind. So one piece that I don't know that I understand at this point is at the edge. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to deploy some sort of driver to talk to each individual system in the traditional building. You have all these disconnected systems. So how does that play into the overall Azure Digital Twin stack? And, and do you guys have partners that are just, all they're doing is mapping from that original protocol into this new sort of open ontology? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there, there are a couple aspects there. One cool part about Digital Twin's definition language, DTDL, is that it's not just an abstract modeling language for space or for all these other entities. There's actually a device-centric view of that that we call IoT plug and play, which is how you actually model the devices using that same language. 
So for newer devices for the greenfield, you can actually, as a device manufacturer, use that exact same language and still apply that same ontology to your motion sensor, to your you know, trip beam, to your HVAC systems, whatever else you want to model. But at the same time, we realize that the scale in the industry is still in the brownfield. It's still in the legacy buildings and all of the instrumentation and, and systems that you're never going to touch again. Yeah. And like you mentioned, machine learning and you know translation becomes really important in that scenario. So we're working with a number of partners, you know, some like Optio3, for example, who apply machine learning on the edge to discover, classify, and normalize the legacy data you're getting into the destination of your choice. And so real estate core obviously becomes that destination that they're training towards. And that also becomes an accelerant to brownfield onboarding. We know that today it typically takes a month or you know, even up to three or more months to onboard yeah. a building. And when you're dealing with portfolio managers who manage hundreds or thousands of buildings, the, the physics just doesn't work. You know, people okay. will be out of careers by the time you onboard all their buildings. And so we know we need to shrink that time down to you know, days, if not hours and automate that process as much as possible. And so that's where we do believe in the value of having uh, machine learning on the edge to help with that translation and adapt from the brownfield devices into something more standardized and, and well-known. Yeah, so when we're talking about an ecosystem, it could either be a device manufacturer that says, hey, I'm IoT plug-and-play certified or whatever yeah. is that. I don't even know if that's the right way to put it. Yeah, exactly. And, Yep. And then you have an integrator that says, I can, you know, enable this data to be displayed in the right way or enable some sort of API to happen that has the data modeled in the right way. Right. And it keeps your integration layer very thin because now you're no longer building a lot of that custom integration code to speak yeah. from solution to device. Everyone's agreed on the same format. So as long as that contract is divided by, then it'll just kind of seamlessly work. Got it. Okay, cool. So now that we sort of have that picture painted. Hopefully it's painted well for people on what we're talking about here, but let's talk about sort of how that enables a smarter building or how that enables buildings to be smarter worldwide, right? How, how are we pushing the industry forward with this platform, with this ecosystem approach? And I thought I wanted to like circle back around to something you said when we were prepping for the Realcom conversation, where I think you said you started with Steelcase and you had a certain approach to developing the platform. And then you, you said you did it. And then you guys took a step back and said, well, wait, we, we kind of need to rethink how we're doing this. Can you kind of explain that story? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier too, you know, Steelcase was an early partnership with us that started the core of the idea that we needed the association between the people, places, and devices. Uh-huh. And then gradually, as we grew that, we recognized the ability for those functions, those capabilities, the, the relationships to apply to other solutions and other scenarios. And so that's how that one partnership turned into a broader platform. In our first version of Azure Digital Twins that we launched in 2018, that was very focused on the concept of people, places, and devices. Those are actually types that were baked into the platform by default, and then you can only kind of tweak it somewhat. We still found that that had tremendous value and it changed the way people thought about building solutions in the industry. But a lot of the feedback we received was the fact that those three concepts don't necessarily apply directly to every single solution. Or even if it does, you still want the ability to model it more and customize it a little bit more than what we offer. Okay. Um, and so in the next wave of digital twins that we updated a few months ago, as well as now generally available as of end of October, 
digital twins definition language, DTDL, became part of, or a big part of the, the platform capabilities. And so that opened us up to a number of other industries, whether it be manufacturing, mm. vehicles, even retail, and, and so on, or, or the energy grid. Those can now all model their own domain expertise on DTDL and build tailor-made solutions for what they need. So it helped us break out of the smart buildings industry and become much more broadly applicable. And then as we identify other needs that are coming from these other markets, then that's where we could identify what needs to be additional capabilities in the platform, uh, what needs to be a solution accelerator. So whether it's the ontology or the connection between digital twins and Azure Maps for visualization, how do we identify those? And then lastly, what are the, the types of partners and customers who could leverage those capabilities? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we've grown our ecosystem for the real estate industry with you know, people who go across the stack for operations, construction, engineering, you know, space occupancy, return to work, productivity experiences, and so on. Got it. That's really cool. That's a, an amazing progression starting out with buildings and then saying, you know, where else can we go? Normally you see companies try to come into the building space after being successful elsewhere. Interesting. So we've described this whole, this ecosystem approach where there's a bunch of different ingredients, as you said. So if I'm a building owner, like a, a large REIT, for instance, if, if I know that my solution providers are building on top of this ecosystem, how does that enable me to have portability between vendors, for instance? Because I, I think that's a, an underestimated way that this space is being held back because people are scared to invest if they know that they kind of have to get married to a vendor and they're kind of scarred from being married to certain vendors for the the past several (laughs) decades. Right. So a lot of baggage in the industry. Yeah. So much baggage. Yeah. (laughs) So how does this approach sort of help that? I don't know that it does, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like it would make it so that you could maybe start to plug and play vendors if you wanted to. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's really at the heart of it too, is that let's say I, I've decided that I want partner X for one of my solutions. Let's say building management system. I installed partner X and partner X isn't living up to it, but because I've required partner X to be on this real estate core ontology, I could easily swap out their, you know, my building management system or, you know, some other solution with partners Y or Z or, or whoever else can also abide by that. So I no longer have to change my core infrastructure just because I've swapped someone out because I've mandated that anything coming into my building uses this language, uses this ontology. Um, The other aspect of where I think digital twins helps a property owner or manager is now you can start drawing insights between these solutions. And so you can start saying all of these disparate silos can now start influencing each other. That could be from the digital twin that the building owner manages and the digital twin that the tenant manages. So um, typically, you know, a building owner will have a blind spot for a tenant space and a tenant won't necessarily have access to all the shared building infrastructure. Having that common language, having that integration layer of a digital twin can provide you the right connections between them or just even between other solutions in your own domain. So I mentioned before the occupancy and, and the building management system. Or we could even think, let's say, elevators and a calendaring system. You start understanding where an elevator needs to go because of you know, the meetings that are on the calendar that day. Or your work order management, uh, you start understanding who's in what space, when are spaces clear, when are spaces being utilized, and how do you prioritize which issues you resolve. 
based on the severity of the issue, who it's impacting, where it's impacting, or what systems it's impacting. Having that twin can start allowing you to draw context from pieces of all these different solutions together. Got it. I love that. Yeah. And there's a couple of different threads that have come up in several of the past couple of podcasts, which is one is like our state of the art right now. If you just look at the buildings industry as a whole, our state of the art is really the point solution or the siloed application, right? So you're, you're starting to get to where that is kind of becoming a thing of the past, right? Um, the, the other like aspect of this is the the easier for an owner to sort of fire a vendor it is, right? There's, yeah. that's, a, that's a double-edged sword. So the vendor might not like that, but that same setup allows them to also integrate really fast, right? So they can just plug their application directly into this existing stack, whereas before they had to do a ton of work. And, and you mentioned people doing the same work. <laughs> like our industry is plagued by everyone sort of doing the same shit, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody's riding the same drivers. Everyone's doing the same integration. Everyone's adding their own ontologies off of the same point lists. Like we're doing so much that's the same. And so the double-edged sword is like, yes, you can get fired tomorrow if your SaaS product doesn't work, but also you can also plug it in to way more people's buildings. So I, I think that's going to be an accelerator in that the best solutions will sort of win out faster, right? Exactly. And that's going to move yeah, the industry forward. If we come back, uh, I, I remember the, the first, one of the first questions you were asking me is why is digital transformation in this industry so slow? I think that's a great example of it. People are used yeah. to, in this industry, like they know how to run RFP processes. They know how to choose a vendor based on the individual merits of that vendor. You can look at five different building management systems or you know, space utilization systems and you know, go down the traditional software checkbox that does it have this yeah. feature, does it have this feature, do I like the UX and whatever else. In isolation, that makes sense and, and the industry is able to do that. But now it's a very different type of question you have to ask as part of that process is how does this accrue to my digital twin infrastructure and what are the outcomes I want to draw? What are the insights I want to take from that solution in conjunction with everything else that I have in my building? It's a very different way of looking at that problem space because now you have to manage not just the vendor itself, but also the integration. Yeah. And so I think that's learnings that we're seeing and that's what people are adapting to right now. But kind of coming back to your, your last statement too, we are seeing a lot more momentum for the people who are jumping on this early because there is a sort of first mover advantage to this from a property owner perspective where the property owners that are embracing digital twins and this type of integration model are clearly seeing not just cost savings, but also value adds. And enough so that we have partners in the space who are demonstrably saying, I can show that a building with a digital twin is more valuable an asset than a non-digital twin building. So they're seeing it from that side, but at the same time, the vendors who are actually starting to transform their solutions to use these ontologies and to use digital twins are that much more accepted by these property owners who are mandating it as part of their digital infrastructure. So we, we do see it you know, taking off very quickly. We, we see you know, exponential kind of growth in that area, and it's kind of among the first times we're actually seeing the two ends really meet in the middle to drive the ecosystem, the industry um, at large. Got it. You just reminded me of something that I wanted to circle back to from our conversation at, at RealCom. So something that came up there was like, how does a building owner get started, right? So you mentioned the perspective of a, a very large building owner and they're coming at it from like, 
I'm going to go tell all my asset managers that we're, we're going to value buildings differently based on the digital twin. And like, okay, that's pretty progressive from, from that standpoint. But like, if I want to get started tomorrow, the value that makes that asset worth more is I'm implementing all of these use cases, right? I'm touching the occupants, I'm hitting tenants. That's a big undertaking, right? To, to go from where we're at today, which is point solutions at best, yeah. to like this fully enabled digital twin experience, right? So one of the things we talked about in the, the panel discussion was, do you start with one use case, prove that out and grow it out? Or do you start with, you know, just getting all the data into the twin and then it will become clear later on where the value is at. So I wanted you to sort of repeat your answer or you can sure. come up with a, a better one uh, yeah. from what we talked about on the panel. Yeah, I think it's a, a huge issue that people face when they're dealing with digital twins is, it's very easy to get lost in the art of the possible or even just the academia of a digital twin and spend just hours talking about it and the possibilities and all that. And the possibilities are true and, and the possibilities are, I guess we could call it endless, that might be cliche, but the key to actually unlocking that value is getting started somewhere. And you know, early on in the process for us, since we were new to the real estate industry as a company, we engage a lot with our corporate strategy team to understand how we should interface with the industry and what role we have to play. And, and we actually had a similar discussion with a lot of the world's largest landlords as well. And so we quickly gravitated towards that 330, 300 model that everyone talks about in the industry. So companies spend $3 per square foot per year on energy, 30 on space, 300 on the people within the space. And naturally, as Microsoft, and we've seen other companies do the same thing, we jumped on that 300 number. We said, that's the biggest number on the slide. We said, we're the most experienced there because of our background in office. Let's go tackle that. And we quickly realized, number one, that's where you get very lost in all the possibilities. But number two, the value is a little bit squishier there. You know that there is value in saving people time and making people more comfortable and helping people be more effective. But... Do you quantify that in salary? Do you quantify that in you know, time saved? You know, there's a bunch of variables that aren't necessarily easy to pull up a calculator and say, I saved this much money or I added this much value. Whereas with the three number, you could very easily say, I'm turning off this light switch or I'm you know, turning off my HVAC or I'm doing this other thing to save energy. I know exactly how much money I'm saving there. It's yeah. very quantifiable. And what we've actually seen on our own campus is we can actually break even on that within 12 to 18 months. And so at that point afterwards, you're printing money for your implementation and you can just keep growing from there. The next piece of that with space is still quantifiable. You know how much lease you have, you know how much real estate you're owning. It's just a little bit less liquid. So it's a little harder to impact directly because you might have contracts or you're not going to take a sledgehammer to your wall every day. But we know that there is value in understanding how space is being used and how you can reconfigure it, especially now given a lot of the changes with COVID and the pandemic. And so the interesting part of that, though, is that it's not a separate solution necessarily. It can build upon the foundation you've set with your investments in the energy and operation space, because eventually what you're going to change about your space could also impact the way you use energy. So again, back to my example of you can turn off the lights and turn off the heating if you know that a space is typically not used during given hours. Yeah. Um, you can start automating that and start optimizing. Then eventually when you do get to the people in the space, you're also still going to need to know what the space is itself, the design, the capacity, all that. You're still going to need to know how to interact with the building management system and the controls system in your building. But now that you've added those concrete layers in the three and the 30 space, you can more easily tackle the 300. So the partners and the customers that we've seen be more successful in the space are able to 
very clearly define what their business goals are, how they want to achieve that, and also lay out a very clear plan about how they're going to go tackle it. Because it, I think people should dream about the different possibilities they have three, five, 10 years down the line. But if you don't get mobilized on something realistic and something concrete in the short term, you're just going to get lost in theory for years. So we've seen people basically like RxR, for example, carved out a lab within their headquarters so they could start implementing there first and start experimenting. But then they had a very crisp vision about how they start rolling out from that one lab to their broader building, to a set of buildings, to their entire portfolio. That's a, a very great example of how you achieve success at portfolio scale by starting with something very crisp and painting a roadmap about how to evolve in the long term. Got it. I think that's a great answer on like letting ROI sort of drive your prioritization of your use cases. And then like the ROI really depends, this is what I say in the course, the ROI really depends on how fluffy you're willing to accept the fluffiness factor of what you're willing to accept. And so I think that's a great point. So let's transition to sort of, I want to circle back to DTDL because Obviously, this is not the only effort to create some sort of ontology happening in the industry. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do is sort of clarify all of these different efforts and sort of not really compare them to each other, but say where they fit in the context of the other things that are going on, right? So I've done several podcasts now around Haystack Brick. Um, the previous one, when this, when this show airs, the previous one will have been Google and their digital buildings ontology. So we talked about that. Um, so I want you to kind of talk about where DTDL fits and then obviously real estate core uh, sitting on top of DTDL, like we talked about earlier, um, where that fits in this grand scheme of things of, of similar efforts. Sure. Yeah. So DTDL, I'd say, is the underlying modeling language. So it's, it's actually not an ontology per se itself, but it's just a schema by which you could describe any entity as well as relationships between them. So it's just, it's basically, it's JSON-LD format, and it, it's just meant to say, this is a structured way of you describing the name, the capabilities, the properties, the telemetry of your entities and the connections between them. That's actually all open source. It's not something proprietary that we want to own. It's just a way of us saying this is a, a structured way of the ability for us to bring data into Azure Digital Twins such that you can model any entity you want. Azure Digital Twins in turn has parsers and capabilities to take DTDL and make something of it, but there's nothing stopping people externally from looking at DTDL and making their own parsers or toolkits around their own platforms to in inherit that as well. Yeah. Then you start layering that up with ontologies or sets of models on top of digital twins definition language, which is where real estate core comes in for us. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out, do we come up with our own ontology? Do we inherit from a few ontologies? What do we do there? And for us, it was extremely important not to reinvent the wheel, both because we didn't want to spend our own time you know, doing that when there's obviously a lot of learnings in the industry. Also, because we didn't want to be like the XKCD comic where there's, you know, yeah. one slide, there's 15 competing standards, I'll, you know, build a new standard that addresses all of them. And then fast forward and there are 16 competing standards. Yeah. Um, we didn't want that to happen. We wanted to leverage what was there already. And, and real estate core was something that was provably adding value to the industry in a way that was actually used in practice in the real world. So the reason why we went forward with Real Estate Core, not just for the merits of the ontology itself, was also because when it's used in practice, it's used as is. 
uh, when we looked at things like brick and haystack, people tend to have their own flavor of it. Your version of brick might be very different from my version of brick, and it would be really hard for that property manager to integrate both of those together. Totally. With Real Estate Core, they actually have an existing set of partners and customers who are using the uh, ontology as is. So one of the examples I, I gave in my IBCOM blog was iDune, which builds a PropTech OS solution. And some of their key customers are people like Vasa Cronin, which is one of the biggest construction property managers in Europe. There's YIT, which is one of the biggest facility managers in Finland, and they also operate across Northern Europe. And so they consume that solution and they consume it using the models as they are described in the ontology itself. So we, we no longer have that dialect issue because it's used kind of to the letter of the models. Cool. And, and real estate core is something that's, it's not as well known in the US. It doesn't come up a whole lot, right? So right. it might make sense to sort of give a little bit more background on how that relates to, like you mentioned, it's used as is, but how is it able to be used as is? And, and is it an open source project that's happening just elsewhere that people can contribute as well? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's open source. They have a kind of consortium that looks at the contributions and, and make sure that the models kind of adhere to the overall connections and the overall voice and, and kind of tone of all the different models and how they fit together. Mm -hmm. And then what they did very purposely from the start was make sure that they had developers and customers lined up to use those models directly. So they have a, a really interesting blend of academic stakeholders, technology stakeholders, and real estate stakeholders, all of whom can validate the ontology end to end. Mm -hmm. um, they, they came to us because they were interested in digital trends a long time ago, but we were always intrigued by the idea of an industry leading ontology. And, and so as we developed the capabilities to open up DTDL to allow any modeling, that's where it became much more possible for us to go back to them and say, let's actually build the next version of Real Estate Core using DTDL uh, underneath. And so now you can actually use the DTDL language to leverage Real Estate Core within your Azure Digital Twin solution. So there's nothing stopping people from still using Real Estate Core as it was previously built in their own solutions, but now we make it that much easier to connect it into anything Azure IoT based because we'll know how to kind of adhere to that DTDL contract. Got it. I love it. So when I read your blog, by the way, and we'll put your blog in the show notes, I, I want to circle one sentence in it, which said real estate core specifically does not aim to be a new standard, but rather provides a common denominator and bridge with other standards such as brick project haystack and more. So is it like translating between different ontologies or how does that, what does that mean? Yeah, so when they first start out, they actually do take a lot of concepts from things like Brick and Haystacks that way, and OWL as well is another language that they um, can bring in. So they do have an ability to translate models externally into what they use today. And so that was also an interesting concept that they you can have a bridge between ontologies to help with your on-ramp and accelerate your time to results again. Mm -hmm. But I think where it's also more interesting for us is that once you're in that ontology, you can use it directly in the tooling that you have. And, you know, in, in our version of the world, it's DTDL and our parsers within Azure Digital Twins. And so, again, it was kind of a one-off translation we did to make sure that Real Estate Core could be built with DTDL. Okay. But now what we've proven is that you no longer have to translate or convert. You could just kind of start with that tooling as it exists in the repo today. At the same time, we do recognize that there might be blind spots we have, there might be gaps, there might be areas where we need people to bring in their industry expertise. And so what we worked on with the Real Estate Corp group was ensuring the pluggability of the ontologies. That way, 
let's say if we don't have elevators or we don't have deep expertise on elevators, um, you know, partners like Disagroup Elevator or others might be better suited to describe the entire model of an elevator and the systems and data it could send you. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we allow them to contribute their models to extend, but make sure that it's not an island, it's not a, not a silo in the ontology. It fits together within the right asset classes or equipment or within the broader building structure. Got it. That makes total sense. So how are you seeing, I know you guys have a lot of projects going on right now. How are you seeing a building owner say, I want to standardize on this ontology? Like, how do I, as a building owner, make sure that this happens in my building? Yeah. So I think, again, it starts with the business value you're trying to drive, because even though the ontology is very complete, it's pretty rare for anyone to use an entire ontology in any given solution. You're going to take a subset of that ontology for the pieces of the domain that make sense for you. So the, the parts of the ontology you'll use for a space management solution is very different than the ones that you'll use for an operations solution. So the first thing is making sure you have your clear view of the business goals, but then you can start kind of driving conversations with partners and customers about what are the solutions you could provide and how do you plug into my infrastructure? So uh, a lot of the bigger property managers we've seen, so if we come back to the blog again, I, I mentioned Brookfield and Oxford, they basically say they want to drive the holistic digital twin infrastructure of their building first. So that way they have the right backbone to kind of hang these other solutions onto. Yeah. And they basically say that in that solution, we want our ontology, our domain expertise to be real estate core ontology. Mm -hmm. uh, because moving forward, as they engage with specific partners or specific solution providers in the industry, they can say that here's the you know, structure I have in my building. Here's how I will allow you to integrate with it. How can you go plug in with me? Um, in some cases, we find that the opportunity is big enough for a solution provider to completely re-architect their solution to use the ontology natively in their software as a service model. Okay. Um, in other cases, we've seen vendors, whether just as a kind of quick and dirty implementation or just for time or resources sake, provide a translator on egress. So that way, even if the entire solution isn't re-architected, you can still translate into the data that your consumer expects the data format to be in. Got it. This whole platform aspect and the value of it, I've struggled to integrate it into my course because the course is introductory and I want to sort of paint the picture of like where the industry is at today, but it's almost like I need a separate module that's like, we're used to integrating and creating these point solutions that are sort of full stack. There are building owners out there that are just going the platform route and saying, okay, now your solution will integrate back to me. Uh, and I haven't quite figured out how to deploy that in the course. So if you have some advice, anybody has advice, let me know. Uh, yeah, as the, we, the analogy I've also seen happen is like take PCs today. Uh -huh. People take for granted the fact that you could plug in a keyboard or plug in a mouse or plug in a monitor and yep. it just works. Under the covers, what's actually happening is some sort of plug and play type logic where your operating system has dictated this is the contract by which I will recognize your equipment. If you say that I am a monitor, or I am a keyboard, or I am a mouse, and these are my capabilities, I have a scroll wheel, I have two click buttons, I have a side click, this is how mm -hmm. you control it, I don't know exactly how to pull in your drivers, I don't know exactly how to command and control your device. Now you take that same concept into a building, and you have the building owner saying, this is the operating system in my building. It could be a Willow, it could be a Bentley, it could be eMagic, you know, any of those players who are targeting the holistic twin of a building. Yeah. Then you could say, that's my contract. That's my integration layer. 
here's how you could go play in this ecosystem. And so now you can start driving more of those solution providers to better plug and play with your building. Totally. I love that. Cool. So as we kind of close things out, I wanted to ask you, and, and I might put you on the spot here, what are you sort of excited about? I know you guys just made several announcements, but if you look a couple of years out, uh, what are you excited about on the Microsoft product side of things? Yeah, um, I think one key thing is making sure we keep accelerating time to results. So mm-hmm. I think now we've shown that there's value here in that ontology and in the ability to plug and play these solutions into a digital twin. The magic has to be in shrinking the time to results from, again, months into days or hours. We need that to be as quick and seamless as possible for any of this to drive at scale value. We've seen now it's not easy, but at least there's line of sight and straightforward for anyone in the industry to go tackle one building at a time with spot solutions. Yeah. Uh, for someone to succeed, it's going to take thousands of buildings and showing that you can do this at portfolio scale in minutes or hours or, or maybe days. That's one thing that I'm really excited about. And then the other piece that's exciting for me is from the Microsoft perspective, we're seeing all of these worlds from our industry collide together. So Microsoft is unique in that it has that three cloud story. It has Azure, it has an Azure IoT, it has Dynamics, and it has Office. This industry is perfect for that intersection. And so I do see a lot more of that value coming to property owners, tenants, uh, workplace solution providers, and, and so on, to leverage all of the capabilities for Microsoft for any given solution in the industry. Love it. Well, cool, Matt. I appreciate you coming on the show. I think this will be a great uh, follow-on to Emmanuel's episode, but also a lot of the other ones as well. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, please subscribe at nexus.substack.com. You can find show notes for this conversation there as well. As always, please reach out on LinkedIn with any thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.